Hello there. We're back in black. We've updated a few things, but you're still going to hear the same old shit as always. To kick off our new season, we are immersing ourselves fully in World Book Day. In typical fashion for the both of us, we have planned, recorded, edited, and are releasing this episode all in one day. Thus avoiding any and all pressing deadlines for literally everything else. In this episode, seeing as we both have postgraduate degrees in English literature, and of course it's World Book Day, we thought we would bore you for the next hour or so and waffle on about some of our favourite books. And fan fiction. Do not forget my smutty fan fiction. We don't do that in the South, you know. Was there a particular book or series that made you realise that you loved reading? Yes, um, absolutely, the Harry Potter series. Mm-hmm. And I'm dressed appropriately for this discussion with my Ravenclaw robe and my <laughs> Severus Snape wand beside me. Um, not a euphemism. Well, I am, I'm glad that's the wand you chose for this video call. <laughs> the other one's on charge. <laughs> I'll get that one out for the credits, uh, not the credits, for the outtakes. <laughs> Blooper reel. Um, yeah, no, it was the Harry Potter series completely because I remember before that I'd always been really good at reading. Mm-hmm. That sounds a bit braggadocious, but it's just kind of a fact. I was raised Mormon, so I was reading the King James Bible and the Book of Mormon for as long as I could really remember. Um, and so when you're reading the King James version of the Bible at home and then you go to school and you have like, you know, picture books and stuff, it, you know, it doesn't really, no. I don't know. It just wasn't really that interesting to me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was just a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember my mom bought me, I think it was Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. She got me. Mm-hmm. And um, when it first came out and I remember like my stepdad saying to her, like, well, she's not going to be able to understand that. And I am stubborn as fuck. So that made me be like, nope, I am going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I sat and I read it and I loved it. And um, yeah, then I became just obsessed really quick and made my way through the books. And I remember I was like, I don't want to say I'm a teacher. I was a teacher's pet, but my primary school teacher that I, I loved dearly, Mr. Seddon, he's like passed away now, sadly, but he loved Harry Potter too. And he really, um, encouraged me to Mm -hmm. to read um and he actually lent me his own copy of um a couple of the books that I hadn't read like the first two actually yeah because I read because I read Order of Phoenix first and then I think Goblet of Fire Mm -hmm. and then Half-Blood Prince and I hadn't actually read the first three even though I was I'd seen the films and I'd like read the later books and so yeah Mr. Seddon bless him lent me his own copies and yeah and I just loved them (laughs) So it's definitely Harry Potter for me. First time I connected with children's books. It's interesting, isn't it? You describe 
oh, you sort of labelled Harry Potter as children's fiction. But, I mean, yes, I suppose children are its intended audience, but would you say that it, you could really class it as children's fiction? Because it has such a wide audience. I think it definitely developed a wider audience. I think it's kind of undoubtedly initially aimed at mm-hmm. children in the sense of intended as a book that children yeah. could enjoy by themselves and read with parents. But I think the audience broadened and seemed to have such a big appeal pretty quick, really. Um, from what I understand, it just sort of took off and was such a big hit. I think there's also something to be said for the fact it's, um, especially for like our generation, we grew up with them and with waiting mm-hmm. for a new film to come out and seeing the premieres and getting excited about them and, and all of that sort of thing. So it's generations of people that grew up with them, which means yeah. obviously as they get older, the, the fan base on the whole is getting older mm-hmm. which I think is reflected in how much merchandise is still made and produced about yes. it and how many yeah. like theme park things there are and studio tours and fan fiction which we'll get to later but that you know <laughs> really <laughs> um it, it changes things up and you can see that the audience has sort of gotten older as mm-hmm. we've all progressed onto writing weird snape smut <laughs> people so we've got you can see that it's it's gone in a different direction than what J.K. Rowling no doubt intended <laughs> when she wrote that first book. <laughs> so that was it for me. Um, was there a particular book or series for you or person that, you know, got you into reading growing up? Not a particular book or series per se. Mm-hmm. Um, there were always books around um, and we were always encouraged to read as children. Uh, and my grandmother was a primary school teacher, so obviously she um, believed greatly in getting children to read early. Mm-hmm. Um, but my great-grandmother, her mum, I spent a lot of time with her as a child. Right. Um, and she would always just sit there and read with me. There's, there'd be a telly in the house, but we'd always sit and read first. Mm-hmm. It wasn't... Yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it. Um, it's not, I'm not going to say that it was, you need to read before you can watch the TV, but that's sort of how it felt. Mm-hmm. Not, not necessarily felt, but there was always more value placed on reading than sitting and, you know, mm-hmm. going blind looking at the TV screen. Mm-hmm. But no, there wasn't any particular series where I realised how much I love reading. Um and to be honest, I think my realisation was a lot later than everybody else. Because mm-hmm. um, reading sort of felt commonplace, if that makes sense. Yep. You know, I'm not saying something commonplace doesn't have as much value, but it's not necessarily as obvious. Um, mm-hmm. And it was only really when I started doing English at GCSE and A-level that I really got into reading books deeply and analysing them and mm-hmm. doing research and all of that, which is what I actually thought, because I, I was originally um, preparing to go to university to study architecture. Oh, and then you would never have met me. And we no, exactly. Be doing this. no, exactly. Everything happens for a reason. Um, but my A-level English teachers were so good that I completely changed direction. That's actually really interesting you should say that, because I was also not going to study English literature at university. <laughs> I was going to go and study childcare, um, not because I actually wanted to work in childcare, but to be honest, I was just Mormon at the time. And I was like, yeah, well, yeah. I'm just going to be a stay at home mom. So 
I may as well go and study childcare so that I can learn my craft for looking <laughs> after and raising children. Um, but again, I just remember I finished that A-level and I just, I loved my English literature A-level. Mm-hmm. I loved my teacher, beautiful Mrs. Taylor. Oh, loved that woman. Um, and I think she just really just kind of instilled in me this love of analyzing text yeah. because they were like, we were, I don't know, our class wasn't the most consistent. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people wouldn't show up. So there were quite a few times when it would be just me and her. And I just loved the experience of um, we'd just go through like Hamlet. It was line at a time and just yeah. be analyzing the shit out of every other word. Yeah. And I just loved that. And I remember when I when I finished the exam and collected my results, just having this feeling of like, I don't want to be done with this. No, I know I wanna, what you mean. I'm going to miss. Yeah. I'm going to miss this. And so I actually switched at the very last minute, like literally weeks before I was supposed to start, still at Anglia Ruskin. I switched. Mm -hmm. I sent like a panicky email at the very last minute and was like, I know it's really late, but can I switch? And because it's such a beautiful university, they let me switch. (laughs) Just accept it. Even though like my application, my personal statement, nothing was in there about literature. It had all been geared towards childcare, but they just like accepted me like that. And, And now here I am doing a PhD with them. I know it's insane. which feels incredible to say that's such a journey <laughs> yes, it really is to be honest yeah all in the space of what five years four years five years yeah pretty much journey but I mean yeah not to like dominate the conversation or anything I just think it's really interesting that we both um, mm. weren't actually intending to do English literature <laughs> yeah, and yet it here is, we are <laughs> I think you catch the bug yeah when you start going through a text slowly and analysing it and researching the authors, once you have caught that bug, mm-hmm. you're stuck with it. Completely. You can't stop. Yeah. I mean, the, pro- the problem was, like, when I'm doing uni work, or when I was doing uni work, um, you know, you, you start writing an essay, but then you'll think, while you're writing that essay, you'll think about other essays you'd rather be writing. Or, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? So I could yeah. be writing an essay for a module I don't want and should be writing, but I'm actually planning a different essay mm-hmm. about something I'm not studying, but I want to write something about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've had that so much with essays, because I have to say <laughs> on the whole, I've quite liked all of mine. But I did have that experience with the um, news and feature writing module. Yeah, you didn't like that one, did you? I hated it. See, I like, loved it. And it's no, it's not a reflection of the person that was teaching it. You know, they were great, and and the course was fine. It was a great course, great module. But I just realized, like about halfway through, I was like, oh, I hate this. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to do journalism. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just resented it so much. Do you know what I mean? It just became this thing of I was like, oh fuck me, I've got to like work on this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this article, and I just didn't, I didn't want to. I remember like being so like kind of depressed about it they were like you know oh but you know go and find a, a news story to write about and I remember I remember just thinking like I don't have anything to fucking write about what am I gonna <laughs> bloody write about what happens in my life that's newsworthy <laughs> like, yeah I was pretty toxic um, I was off like yeah. a whippet she was like yeah we mm-hmm. need to write like a feature article in two short news stories I'm like okay off I go like, what I think it was just I think it was just that thing of I, I made myself take that module because I was like, you know, trying to think logistically of mm-hmm. some kind of career that I could have. 
and I think it's just because it was forced and my heart wasn't really mm-hmm. in it you know yeah. um I think that's that's all it was it never helps does it no like because I quite often struggled with the core modules not all not all of them uh-huh. some of the core modules are really good but obviously some of them aren't in areas that interest me mm-hmm. so I really struggled with those mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I think I just got I just got really lucky that the, the modules kind of worked quite well. Yeah, clearly we're just simps for Anglia Ruskin University. Yeah. Maybe they'll sponsor an episode for us. <laughs> <laughs> Ruskin the Rhino to be our mascot. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I, just, I think that covers, <laughs> that covers our past with reading nicely. What do you think? I think we have certainly covered enough for those <laughs> listening <laughs> <laughs> so moving on is there anything particularly and to us I know there is because <laughs> there just is for everybody but is there something that is a comfort read for you um changes a lot depending on my mood but I think Mm -hmm. the most consistent ones that bring me comfort have been Harry Potter Mm -hmm. the series um especially the third book because that was the one that my teacher in primary school lent me and Mm -hmm. it just always makes me think of him um so there's that kind of link to it for me um another series though one I tend to do whenever I'm sick is Lord of the Rings okay yeah I always get craving um to read lord of the rings or watch mm-hmm. lord of the rings even um if i'm like you know too sick to kind of read um whenever i'm yeah unwell it's just a thing that i do specifically the fellowship of the ring mm-hmm. i just i love that book it's probably my favorite one mm-hmm. from that trilogy um and i think the there's something one? to be said no that's the first one that's the first um, one mm-hmm. yeah um i think there's something to be said for the fact that they're they have a lot of nostalgia because I grew up with them with mm-hmm. both of the series and <laughs> incidentally I'm realizing how much of my childhood reading was in stubbornness towards my stepdad who <laughs> after I read Harry Potter said to me yeah well you wouldn't be able to read this and plonked down this uh huge like um Lord of the Rings book which basically it was just so thick all three books and all the appendices and stuff in one volume so it was like you know bigger than a bible and uh, if I'm wrong I sat and read <laughs> I sat and read them. <laughs> this is a running theme throughout my life, clearly. Um, but yeah, so because I grew up with them, I think there's just something to be said for the escapism they offer into childhood. What about what about you? What's your comfort? Again, I suppose it depends on the mood at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie, it also depends on how much energy I have. Um, yeah. Um, but there are three stories that I tend to always go back to. The first is The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, which I appreciate for those who know about the story. It sounds like quite an odd um, story to have as a comfort read, but I think it's so cleverly written uh, and also, there are parts of it I find just absolutely hilarious. Just hmm. absolutely wonderful. There's this bit where, uh, for those who don't know the story, it, it's um, 
based on a, a woman who is suffering from post. Um, it, it's a story about a woman who is suffering from postnatal depression, mm-hmm. and her husband is a doctor, and she gets put on rest cure, so she's confined to her room. She can't do anything because obviously men at the time thought that women shouldn't exercise their brains because it didn't do them any good. <laughs> um, but she ends up going mad and sees this person inside the wallpaper. And there's this bit towards the end where she's just circling around the room and her husband comes in and is completely overcome by the sight of her and faints and she just walks over his body every time she goes around the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that image in my head makes me... Uh-huh. You know, it, it, honestly, it's, it's hilarious. Mm. Um, <laughs> the second I would go for um, is Murder on the Orient Express. Again, <laughs> I know that it's perhaps uh, a slightly odd one to go to. Um, <laughs> a story about a, a gruesome murder for comfort. But Murder on the Orient Express was the first... Poirot story I was ever exposed to mm-hmm. so I originally listened to it for the first time on audio cassette that shows our rage um, it was an actual cassette with a cassette player that you had to rewind at the end and I'm like oh my god um, <laughs> um, do you know I listened to that so much that I think the tape no longer works um, <laughs> but then obviously I read the story and I mean, I, I know the story inside out, but it's just one of those I love to read. Like, mm-hmm. I know, yes, I know how it ends, but you just get books where it doesn't matter that you know how it ends, does it? You just, you just, you just, you just enjoy sitting and reading them. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the final one, um, again, is sort of on a detective fiction theme but it's quite different. Um, it's a book called The Curious Instant of the Dog in the Nighttime. Oh, I love that book. It's a phenomenal book. It's written from the perspective of a 13-year-old boy with autism, and he's mm-hmm. trying to solve a crime. The crime is that I think it's his neighbour's dog is mm-hmm. murdered with a pitchfork, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, and it's about him you know, trying to do this investigation himself and the struggles that an autistic person has just in daily life. And it's so, so good to read. Mm-hmm. Um, you just sort of, I can, you can just sort of lose yourself in it, which, you know, there, there's the escapism. You know, if I'm having a tough time, I'll sit and read that because I can just ignore everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think, I'm trying to remember when I first read that, it was... I think I was maybe about 16, 17 mm-hmm. when I read that for the first time. Um, it was actually because Ryan um, had seen it on stage, like a stage adaptation. Yes, they did a really good really version, good. yeah. Mm, and so I wanted to like read the book um, first. And I haven't actually gone to see it yet, but I, I hope to one day. Okay, so that covers childhood and, you know, getting into reading and books that we find a comfort to read um are there any books that you have read that set themselves apart from what you would normally read um books that are slightly different but that you've enjoyed Mm -hmm. I have a little small list here of a few that came to mind um 
first of all, maybe the one that was most challenging for me when I first read it was The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. Um, for obvious reasons, right? If you're raised um, a strict Christian. Yep. Um, and for the record, I don't agree with everything Dawkins says. I think <laughs> he misunderstands the purpose behind a lot of art and religion and kind of mm-hmm. tries to oversimplify it and boils down theology and philosophy and all of this stuff to just like, oh yes, but I do science. And it's like, yeah, but like, <laughs> <laughs> some of us also want to do art and philosophy mm-hmm. and theology. Okay. Like there's other, there's more to life than just science Dawkins. Um, yep. And then there's, you know, eh, transphobia and stuff like that. So yeah, iffy. Um, but I, I just mean, that's kind of precisely why I want to include it in this list because I feel like it's a great example of a book that I was really scared to read when I first read it and that was challenging to me on the grounds of the fact that at the time I wasn't sure how I felt about atheism Mm -hmm. at the time I definitely wouldn't have said I'm an atheist whereas now I feel like I would say I'm a sort of de facto atheist Mm -hmm. um but yeah you know it was it was a real challenge to me in that regard and I was like genuinely kind of scared and I bought it from a charity shop secondhand and actually left it on my shelf for a long time before I had the nerve to pick it up and read it so (laughs) that was a big thing um and then I would also add on my list I am currently making my way through a history of the conservative party um which you were very uh amused at when I like sent you a picture (laughs) of the book when I announced I was reading it (laughs) And I have to say that like I deliberately chose this book because it challenges me on so many levels because the very front cover is a picture of Maggie Thatcher herself. And um, I mean, this podcast is called North and South. I am representing the North of England here. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't need to, you know, preface this by explaining my views on Margaret Thatcher. Um, but the, oh, all that aside... Did the big bad lady steal your milk? She stole my bloody milk. <laughs> Maggie Thatcher, milk snatcher. Anyway, I digress. The point is, this book um, not only has the whole thing of the Conservative Party, which obviously, if you can't tell, I don't, I don't vote for them. I don't like them. But it also has a picture of her on the front cover and is written by one of her friends. <laughs> so it's a challenging read for me. Um, but I think it's important to do precisely because of that, in a way. And it's nice because then I do find bits where I'm like, yeah, I can see that. And it makes these people more... Um, human to me and I can understand them a little bit better Mm -hmm. so I you know I like it for that Um, and then you know the moments where I'm like oh my god yeah that's horrible I don't like that you know I can yeah I have two more on my list Um, very controversial one a book by David Benatar called Better Never to Have Been that advocates for antinatalism and the idea that it's unethical to procreate and have children very interesting read very very interesting read Mm. and actually a theory that as I was reading it I don't agree with it in the sense of labeling it as unethical because I think it's a natural behavior so therefore I don't want to like ascribe morality to it but it's a pretty convincing argument I have to Mm. say like it's one that made me bristle the first time I considered it but when you do start looking into it and you look at the pain versus pleasure difference and everything I, I did find myself being like hmm it's interesting. I can't really argue against that, you know? Yeah. 
And then the very final one of my list of dif- uh, sorry different books that I read that I ended up enjoying was The Ethical Slut, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, I mean, really sort of opened my mind, no pun intended, because it is a book about open relationships and polyamory and all of that fun stuff, uh, which is a very fascinating topic. Um, and one that definitely coming from my past of Mormonism with polygamy and that kind of structure was triggering for me initially to think about and to consider and books like this really helped me to come to terms with it and honestly again I think it's a book that even though it's about polyamory mainly it's it has great application for people in monogamous relationships Mm -hmm. to consider as well because of the things it teaches such as like communication honesty you know all of these different things Mm -hmm. um yeah so that was my I think like four was it yeah four very different (laughs) very outside of my comfort zone books that I'm like really glad that I've read Mm. what about you well I've only got two really that came to mind um and (laughs) I'm not going to go in quite as much detail as yeah, sorry. No, you're all right. <laughs> Got carried away with books. <laughs> um, the first, I, I've read this one. You've not read this one, but it's the book I picked up when we were in Waterstones in Norwich, Blackish, oh. by Tyrone mm. Lewis. And it's a collection of poetry. Um, I mean, you know, I like poetry anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it dawned on me that. I don't read a lot of stuff by black authors. Mm-hmm. Not deliberately. It's not intentional. It's just, it just it somehow worked out that I tend to read predominantly white authors. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's that sort of systemic thing, isn't it? Mm. It's not as accessible. It's not as, you know, <clears throat> it's not as exactly. accessible and easy to find. Exactly. And this, this is why when I saw it, I thought, no, you know what? I need to. I need to read something different, something that I might not have read before. Or, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and as I say, it's a collection of poetry, but there are uh, about, I think it's five or six different, um, just short paragraphs. There's no more, and uh, certainly no more than a page long. Um, I think, if I remember rightly, he calls them firsts, or like my first time. Mm-hmm. And it's people's accounts of the first time that they realized being black made them different or not equal. Mm-hmm. And it, it opened your eyes because yeah. I'm not going to lie. I've lived a privileged life. I've not, <laughs> I've not really seen racism in practice apart from what you saw in the news. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing close to me. Not really. Um, and it's not really a conversation I've had with many people. So it was interesting to see racism from a black person's perspective. But like, it, it sort of felt, not earth is the wrong word, but mm. you know, when you sort of see Hollywood films and Hollywood programs, you know, that talk about racism or the theme is racism. It's all flowery and there's so much drama, but actually it's a lot 
grittier than that. Mm-hmm. Which is what this sort of, as I said, what this book sort of shows me. Mm. Um, That's really interesting. I do want to read it at some point still. I think you did offer mm, to lend it to me. Yes. And I do want to take you up on that. No worries. We should do a book swap. We should do a book swap. Yes, we should. Mm. Yes, we should. Future episode. Future episode idea. I like that idea. Mm. What was your other book? Uh, so you've read this as well, I know. Um, Frankenstein by Jeanette Winterson. Yes, Jeanette Winterson. Love that. It was... It's not something I would ever have read. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's something I would ever go to, if that makes sense. But obviously, I've read it, and I really kind of enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's quite weird. It um, is. I loved it. I loved how weird it was. Uh, yeah, it's it's really weird, but. Like fast, I couldn't. I couldn't put it down. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't, and it was yeah. It was it was just weird. And I remember thinking, why Why am I reading this? <laughs> but then I was like, why am I not putting it down? Yeah, um, I just love how it really like melds together and interweaves the mm. the story of Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley. And, Yes. I mean, I I love romanticism. So anything that basically, honestly, it's fan fiction. <laughs> At least that <laughs> you, part yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I loved it for that and bringing that together, even though it's obviously inaccurate. Blah 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 yeah. blah. But like that's that's the joy. That's the joy of it. That's what makes <laughs> fan fiction please. beautiful. Oh, I I, oh, I should have worn my bitch please T shirt. <laughs> I have that. Um, oh my god! I've just like. We should totally leave this in, but I've just got a notification on my phone saying, what happens if you take Viagra and seven other crucial sex questions answered? If I took Viagra, I'd have a bloody heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> what would happen if you if I took Viagra? I wonder. I'm really should not we, sure. I think we... you can get Viagra for ladies. Um oh. But I would imagine because it targets like certain hormones, I think I don't think it would work for you. It might do. I might be completely wrong, but this is such a scam. So basically, this is my period app that sent me that <laughs> notification. And it's such a scam. And I always get hooked into thinking it's going to actually answer the question, but it doesn't. You click on the notification with the sort of clickbait thing, like, what happens if oh, you take okay. Viagra? And it's like, purchase a flow premium account for a hundred pounds yeah. a year. Or like, and I'm like, no, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to spend any more money on my period than I already have to just by virtue of having it. Like, yeah. anyway, I'm mm. going to have to go and do a deep dive on that later when we finish because I'm really curious what would happen if I was to take Viagra. <laughs> I mean, you do you do get erections on a vagina, like, you know, the clitoris. So, and at that point, I think it's time to move on. No, this is just this is just biology. It's sex no, education. I'm not talking about me. I'm just saying, like you know, practically speaking, maybe that would be all that would happen, right? Possibly, I suppose it could interfere with your hormones, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, apart from the obvious, I'm not entirely sure what Viagra does. Apart do you know? From the obvious. Do you know? It actually helps with um, nausea, 
apparently. Yes, it does. And also... That's why they use it in the military. Uh, yeah, that's why they... Yeah, it prevents um, pulmonary embolisms. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's why the military has, like, some, like, huge-ass, like, bills in America for Viagra. Yeah. And everyone was sort of taking the piss out of it. Which, I mean, I get it, because it's quite easy to do, but it's like, well, yeah, but it is. it does have other other uses Ooh. aside from that. Oh, dear. I love I love the direction that this is going down. It's just so, <laughs> it's such a mess. Can I say my word? Can I say my word? It's Your a clusterfuck. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> did you see that I got that in, I think, like two or three times in the podcast I did without? Yes. I did. <laughs> every time I did it, like I didn't I didn't leave it in, but if I after every time I was like, I just put that in for Callum. <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to what if this were a podcast that was more popular and if more people were to subscribe and leave reviews and comment and all of that shit we might actually have an ad break or a sponsor Um, but seeing as though that's not the case we're instead just going to play a little game for a segment which is a new thing we're trying out for this new series we thought we'd try two truths and one lie so Callum would you like to tell me two truths and a lie about yourself why not okie dokie so I once went on a date with the wrong person because I didn't know the name of the person that I wanted to see and I texted the wrong number Uh I I once (laughs) nude modelled and have never shown anyone the picture Mm-hmm. And I once was so bored that I learned how to play the Poirot theme tune backwards on the piano. Okay, here's the thing. I feel like it has to be the first one that is a lie because the Poirot thing is just, that's just something you would do. You're obsessed with Poirot. And I know that you've mood modelled because I've tried to convince you to let me see the photos <laughs> and you've refused. <laughs> So I feel like it by process of elimination, it must be the first one. Are you sure you want to go with that answer? I, I'm going to have to, yeah. Uh, well, you're wrong. Oh my God, no. Which one is it? So the lie is the playing the Poirot theme backwards. How have you not done that with how obsessed you are with Poirot? Because you know how much labour it takes to write music backwards. Well, if you if you truly loved him, you would have done it for him. So wait a minute, you you went on a date with the wrong person because you got the name wrong. Yes, that's horrible. More more specifically, the wrong person because I didn't know the name of the person. I'd forgotten. The woman was too stunned to speak. <laughs> Would you like to hear mine? Absolutely. Mine are going to be pretty disappointing in comparison to those that's none that spicy. Oh. <clears throat> I'm just a spicy man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm a member of the jujit of a jujitsu federation. I was voted most likely to become a nun in high school. And as a child, I was scared to death of toilets, specifically the sound of chains being flushed. Okay, so we've got jujitsu, 
Mm-hmm. And being scared of toilets. What was the middle and voted one? Most, voted most likely to become a nun in high school, which is quite funny in hindsight. <laughs> See... My instant reaction would be to say that the lie is the one about the jujitsu, and that is purely because I can't see you doing jujitsu. Um, and also, I feel I feel like the one about the toilet might be a red herring. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm going to have to go with the toilet one. That must be a lie. Well. You're wrong. Okay. The the one that is a lie is the fact that I'm a member of the Jiu-Jitsu Federation. Although, although there is truth in it in that I have been a member. Okay. And what's all this about you can't see me doing Jiu-Jitsu? Bitch, I was a brown belt. <laughs> well, I still am, but I just <laughs> haven't been practicing for some years. <laughs> cool. Are you unaware of my Jiu-Jitsu past? I got up to a brown belt. Very impressive. And then I quit because it was expensive. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, because you have to pay. You had to pay for the membership of the federation. Yeah. This is if you want to do the official route, anyway. You had to pay for the membership for that. You had to buy insurance. You yeah. had to buy the gi, the belt, pay for the grading, and pay the training fee yeah. every week. And it's just a lot of hidden costs. <laughs> So, Callum, tell me, what's been your favourite required reading that you have done during your time studying English literature? I will go through this chronologically, Hmm, seeing as you throw me in the deep end and said we can do A-level stuff as well, so I'll start at A-levels. So it was while I was studying for my A-levels that I realised just how much I enjoy World War I literature. Um, Predominantly... um, World War One poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am a massive fan of Wilfred Owen because we studied him quite a lot. Um, but also we read a play by somebody called R.C. Sheriff called Journey's End. I and still haven't read that. It, it's amazing. You need to borrow it. <clears throat> um, set in this one bunker and the set remains the same the entire time throughout the play. There's no set changes, no prop changes, anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is just an account of sort of time in the trenches. It's brilliantly well written. Um, And then sort of moving onward, and you may have similar feelings about some of this stuff from our undergrad. but I really liked conversation with friends, conversations with friends. It, it, again, it's not something I would necessarily have picked up off a shelf to read myself, mm-hmm. which is sort of one of the benefits of doing an English literature degree. You have to read stuff that you wouldn't normally pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and another great thing about one of the modules at universities, we got to study the First World War. So I got to do Wilfred Owen again, mm-hmm. which was brilliant. Um, and another one that I really enjoyed reading was 
a sort of short story by a lady called Leonora Carrington. And it's called Down Below. Uh, and we sort of we studied this on our literature and exile module. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about this lady's treatment in a mental asylum and, you know, compulsive shock treatment and all of this quite horrible stuff. But it is a very good read. Mm. And I'm not going to say because I know I've spoken about the yellow wallpaper, but it, it's not enjoyable in the same way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed reading it. What about you? Um, I also had conversations with friends on my list because um, I really liked that book. And again, very different to what I would usually read. I don't know of sort of super contemporary fiction, really. No, I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was being really careful with how I worded that because I was like, Callum's about to, to give me shit about this because you're always trying to convince me to. I'm not like against <laughs> it or anything. I just never really get around to it. And I have my niche interests and I'm good at sticking with my niche interests. <laughs> and that's that's what I've done. <laughs> um, but that stands out as one that obviously was picked up purely because yes. of the university degree so yeah conversations with friends I loved the way it was written I've actually reread it once since even that's how much oh, I liked you. it it's one that I reread yeah I reread it quite recently actually I feel like I should um, interject and say how rare it is for you to reread something that modern <laughs> yeah it is really isn't it mm-hmm. well Harry Potter's not that Harry modern. Potter's modern, but I, I mean, it, it, of course it's bloody modern. It's like, of course it's modern. <laughs> it's not like an ancient scripture or something, is it? It wasn't like written in like the 19th century. <laughs> Etched onto stone tablets by the finger of the Lord. <laughs> that sounds like something you really want to avoid in boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to move on from that um, and say another one that I loved um, was Train Spotting, also um, a university reading one. I had already read it before, actually, Mm -hmm. um, but I loved the chance to reread it. I love that book. I I chose to write my essay on that book, actually. Yes, you did, didn't you? I did. I loved it. I love the film. I love both films. I love the soundtrack. Definitely have a uh, kind of crush on Renton, the soap dodger that he is. Um, oh, I forget you haven't read it, have you? I've not read it or seen it. <laughs> well, let's hope your supervisor isn't listening. <laughs> 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 given that it was her module um yeah but there's there's this um, I was ill I know I'm just teasing you love but there's this <laughs> scene in the book which is my favorite scene where he's having sex and it talks about how he stinks and how there's knob cheese oh <laughs> but it's great because it's just so Obviously, it's really gnarly. Like, don't get any weird ideas. I'm not, like, saying that this describes my sex life. But I'm just saying, like, it's so hyper-realistic and brutal in its portrayal of reality like that and the fact that it's not some kind of clean, sanitized thing. 
Right, okay. I look for that, it's so brutally honest. You know what I mean? Like it really gets in the headspace of it and yeah. And acknowledges things like that, which is mm-hmm. a, that kind of attention to detail, shall yeah. we say. <laughs> That little fleck of detail is not something that you oh. find in in all. <laughs> oh, what, what a horrible choice of words. Can I just say, do you know what's interesting to me about this book? Whenever I tell like men that haven't read this book about this scene, they always react far worse than any woman does when I tell them about it. Really? I feel like I feel like you you all don't like the kind of harsh reminder of like the stinkiness of dicks <laughs> well no <laughs> i just find it really funny to describe this scene to guys and just like to just see the the recoil that you all have <laughs> it's, it's hilarious <laughs> so yes train spotting final one for me middle march um okay yeah which yeah I, oh, it's beautiful and i wish you'd done that module with me I cry every time I think about it. Really glad that I didn't. (laughs) Middle March is just beautiful. It's a beautiful book. I will. And so, so moving to read in the context of the pandemic with the final lines talking about people lying in unvisited tombs, uh, graves. Really beautiful. Um, Love that book. So that's my. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I honestly, I loved. The vast majority of what we read at uni, yeah. so I could have made this an even bigger list. I kind of want to. Like, I'm thinking of more as I'm sat here. I'm like, but I haven't spoken about Percy Shelley. I haven't mentioned Coleridge. And, you know. <laughs> but we'll have this as my cutoff point so that I don't keep going. Because you do need cutting off every now and again. No, it's just because you have the, so much for to the benefit For the benefit of everybody that is listening, I am flipping Callum off right now. <laughs> Do you have a favourite academic book? Like, you know, sort of secondary criticism, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, and it is one <clears throat> that I read last year mm. in the throw of lockdown. Um, oh, I bet that was fun. Mm. It was in preparation for the master's dissertation. Oh. And it is a book called Agatha Christie on screen by Mark Aldridge. Um, but I can read you a bit from the back if you want to know what it's about. Um, Please do. So it's a comprehensive exploration of 90 years of film and television adaptation uh, of the world's best-selling novelist work, obviously, Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. Um, so he accesses quite a bit of sort of archival material and sort of new information. And it is a complete guide to film adaptations and TV adaptations of Agatha Christie's work. And what's wonderful is it goes chronologically. So, you know, part one, you're starting in 1928 and it goes all Mm -hmm. the way up to 2016, which is where uh, this was released. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a good read. It's, It's intellectual enough to keep the brain stimulated but I feel like somebody who was not, I don't want, I don't want to say well-suited, but somebody who is not familiar with the academic world, they would mm. still find it accessible. It manages to tread that line very, very well. Mm. And there's, there's so much information. 
I was going to say, I'm sure that was like invaluable for your oh, thesis yeah. as well. Mm. Even just for my own personal knowledge, you know. Mm, yeah. Is, yeah, Poirot is as much a passion project for you as it is a. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. Oh hobby. yeah. What about you? I went with radical contradiction, Coleridge revolution, and apostasy. Mm-hmm. I love that book. Um, I'm not going to say the name because I have a deep-seated anxiety of saying people's names. <laughs> Fun fact about me that nobody wanted to know. Um. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, I came across it when I was writing my master's thesis on mm-hmm. Coleridge. And it was just so useful for how it just gave me this really thorough overview of Coleridge's life with a focus on, you know, the idea of his apostasy and his changing opinion um, and support for the French Revolution. I think what I liked most about it as well is that it sort of showed me, um, it gave me an idea of the kind of thesis I wanted to write just mm-hmm. in terms of how I wanted to lay it out because it, it went, it took a chronological approach um, and also it used a lot of historical sort of things that it pulled in as well, like, yeah. you know, information taken from his letters and from newspaper reports and just interactions on so many different levels and obviously mine looked very different and I used different ones to him and different quotes and all of this um but it was like a a really good example for me to see kind of a style model if you like in the sense of how to embed and work in um like sort of contextual information yeah um which was really uh fun for me um but yeah this just kind of showed me kind of example of how I could bring that into my work with Coleridge and still have a lot of a literature focus yeah but with bringing in all these different sources as well final book I had in this list for me is one that I've just acquired recently and I've only just started so I can't really give an opinion on it but it's one that like I'm really enjoying so far it's called The Pornography of Meat Mm -hmm. which is as cool as it sounds (laughs) do tell I mean from what I can tell so far anyway it's looking at the kind of overlap between pornography and using like sex and and things like this to sell meat which I've been I'm not fully vegan anymore but like I've been involved in animal rights activism in the past and the you know misogyny and sexism and the objectification of female bodies does go very hand in hand with the meat and dairy industry one thing that springs to my mind is I went to a slaughterhouse vigil once and there was the slogan on the on the slaughterhouse trucks was something like you know we've got the best breast and thighs yeah or like our chicks have the best breast and, i was gonna say isn't that like, yeah. like consumption thing isn't it mm-hmm, exactly so yeah um so far i'm liking it but i am only a few pages in i literally just started it today um but really enjoying it mm. it does sound interesting to be honest Mm-hmm. Because there is there is a parallel between sort of, I mean, I'm sure the book must talk about misogyny. Yeah. Um, because there are parallels with that in you know meat advertising and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's always like the kind of classic advert, isn't it? Would be like you know the woman in the bikini holding like a beef burger or yeah. cooking a steak. I mean, look at the uh, the kind of strapline for that day, like steak and blowjob day. Yeah. You know. Um, and how female bodies and yeah kind yes. of linked to it there's a really good poem called fantastic breasts and where to find them 
um, which okay. is, yeah, it's a, it's a play on the Harry Potter thing. It's a slam yeah, poem, yeah. actually. I could show it you after if you like. Yeah, sure. And it, it talks a lot about, like, um, the porn industry and its kind of objectification of women. I'm not yep. someone that thinks that porn is inherently unethical. Obviously, there is alternatives that are you know, good and stuff like that. But you know what there, I mean? The kind is. of yeah. mainstream porn hub. Yeah. That's not where ethical stuff is being produced and distributed. And um, yeah, she just kind of speaks in it about how um, it's all these kind of compilations and things like strung together. And basically, we're turning female bodies into small, marketable pieces of like lumps of flesh. Mm-hmm. basically you know what i mean like it's very yeah. much like tit shot you know like this kind yeah. of stuff like you're like really commodifying it um yeah and she uses the metaphor of harry potter fan fiction to sort of talk about a better imagining of it that is linked with actual storytelling and, and a character and a life outside of just sex on screen okay which kind of commodifies it yeah i'm that telling you fan fiction fan fiction is where it's at <laughs> 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 I will evangelize about fan fiction for the day till the day is over and then carry on beyond that. I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> like me and buying books, you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I need to stop buying books as well. <laughs> I need to stop buying books and stop uh yeah. talking shit. I need to stop. Honestly, I came home with 16 books yesterday. Like... I saw it was it's quite a sexy pick. I just like I, 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 when is it going to stop? Like, I need to stop. I need somebody to stop me. My worst thing is that people support me in my yeah. addiction. Like, I went to visit Ryan's dad and his wife Julia a few days ago, and as soon as I got there, they just plonked in front of me two books that they'd picked up. Yep. And it was just like, great, love this. But also, you are really just feeding my addiction here. You're not going to like one of the books they got me because it's by Owen Jones. Oh, <laughs> yes, you're right. I'm not going to. Like oh, it's called Chavs. I'm quite looking forward oh. to it. Callum, what have we just said about reading things that challenge you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will not be doing it though. No. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm not reading anything by Owen Jones. <laughs> I really will. I think he's despicable. Oh. Anyway, cool. we're going to stop getting political. Mm-hmm. It's been quite a political episode. Yeah, it has, even though we set out for it not to be. I think we have to kind of honour the fact that it took that path, though. Because, I mean, everything's mm-hmm. so politically charged right now, you can't help but end up talking about it a little bit. No, I know. So, in conclusion, read more bleeding books. Well, that's us told. <laughs> And I'd also just like to say that whilst it has been beyond the scope of this podcast episode, it would be interesting to further diversify the discussion of books we love by also considering the role of audiobooks, fictional podcasts, and underlying narratives of concept albums. Or or don't. It's your choice. Join us next time when Georgia will be in her element as we discuss the ever-growing world of fan fiction. See you then.